I'll talk about it and I'll talk about my reaction, but I'm not going to like go into that level of detail. Yeah. Whenever you say, whenever you say like cut this out in editing or whatever, I only keep about half of that stuff. So you're probably good. Do you actually keep things? No, I tell you no, of course not. I, cause I don't listen to our podcast. I, know, so I, I, wouldn't, know. I wouldn't know. And I would be so upset. If I have thought true. about that before. I'm like, she doesn't even listen to this. Like I could just yeah. do whatever I want. <laughs> Keep this part in. This is a fun banter. <laughs> oh, God. Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my chocolate factory. And I should warn you that one of us always tells the truth and one of us always lies. No running in the hallway. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to Fans Labyrinth, the podcast where we discuss your favorite genre films and indie pictures. I am your host, Lydia, and this is my co-host. Joseph. Hey, hi. How are ya? <laughs> Change it up I, a little went, bit like, full, every time. Barely. I went full radio voice on that. Mm. Really leaning in. I'm trying to do the announcer thing because you've got the like NPR voice. I can't hear that in my voice at all. All I hear is flamboyant, <laughs> annoying gay voice. But we all just yeah. Hear... When you're actually talking, when, oh. when you're talking like a human being, you just sound like you're having a normal conversation. But when you're, whenever you do the opening of the podcast, it's like, oh my god, it's like, welcome to Fans Labyrinth. I, I like, like how I say doing that. All my insecurities are always in here. Just like that's a normal human voice, and that's good. And it I'm is. Like, like, you do have you do have a normal human voice. Oh my god! Everyone hates the way they sound recorded because it doesn't sound the same as what you hear in your head. Although I hate I'm, the way I sound yeah. in my head too. So no, I'm yeah, I'm very used to my recording voice now, though having edited so much. But yeah, I just don't listen to the. It podcast. doesn't sound like the voice <laughs> in my head still. Like that's never matched up, but. No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't because like what you're hearing in your head is like the sound of your voice bouncing off your own like fucking skull. It sounds yeah, I've totally heard something different. like that. Yeah, because um, you're you're basically hearing it from like the inside of your head as right. opposed to like hearing it bounce off something and come back to your ears. Yeah, because like your ears and stuff are like right there, so you're probably hearing some of it through yeah. your actual body. No, you are. Yeah. You're registering your voice before other people can register your voice. I do have something exciting to start with, though. Fun. Oh, my God. You actually have something to talk about on oh the podcast? Oh, my God. There's just no... <gasps> okay. <sighs> oh, my God. Um, that was such an intense reaction. I'm sorry. <laughs> I went to the movie theater for the first time since the <laughs> like, pandemic started. Like, crying. Oh, my God. Um, it was for dramatic hmm. effect. It was, I'm only, you know, insulted in a way that I'm used to from you, you know, the abuses. Yeah, that's fair. It's amazing that we're still friends. Um, what did you go see? The Green Knight. Because it was so you hyped up. What? Bitch. What? I'm so mad you got to go see it. Oh. <laughs> I roped in my family to go see it with me. I was like, I'm voting this. I really, God, I've not. How'd been, that go? Well, good. I was like, I, was, oh. I tried to sell it. I, I warned everyone it's very artsy. So we all knew in advance what we were going into. And it was firstly just so exciting to get to go back to the theaters. Obviously, mm. it's still a bit schmad because Indeed. of the masks. And you have to sort of you have to book your seats in advance and sit in sort of distant spots. 
But this is such a great movie to go to theaters because it's so, like, cinemagraphic. Sorry, cinemagraphic? Yeah, what's cinema? <laughs> what What is the word I'm looking for? Cinematic. Cinematic? Oh, my God. <laughs> <sighs> I went, I was looking for the, I thought it was too tough of a word to say because it's cinematographer, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, professional podcast here. <laughs> Cinemagraphic just a sounds like some kind of something related to the cinnamon. Uh okay. And not cinema. And and B, for some reason adding the word graphic to anything just makes it sound like kind of pornographic. Mm. You know? Oh, it was very cinemagraphic. I mean, I've heard it was sensual. Yeah. I've heard well, there yeah. were sensual aspects to <laughs> so it. So many so many of the like cutesy reviews I saw on Twitter and stuff that got me hyped was just like Dev Patel has never been hotter. Dev Patel is really fucking hot. He, he, I mean, he's like, amazing he is. in this. He's is very hot in this and whatnot. Um, but like obviously that's not <laughs> that's not the no, takeaway. I mean, <laughs> but it's very but fun. If you have if you have to watch a film version of the epic poem gallon and the green knight yes you might as well watch it with a super hot dude dealing with all the flowery language bullshit of that fucking poem yeah so i would say i'm not going to get into spoilers but it's very much like take a weird arthurian tale take a24 in general and just Mm. imagine (laughs) like imagine hereditary meets things and it's like almost exactly what you get but it does do so many interesting things. And my actual reaction sitting in the theater, I think one thing is I'm not used to sitting for that long watching a movie. It's, it was two hours. Even though I do do that a lot, for some reason in the theater, especially with the discomfort of COVID, you kind of feel this like you're stuck there well, yeah, for the I mean, full two been, hours. It's been like two years, basically, since yeah. we've seen a movie in theaters. So I think that's exacerbated by the fact that this is a very, like, there's a lot of long shots, a lot of slow scenes type movie. Yeah. So it did feel boring at times. But anytime I was actually thinking about the density, thinking about the tale they were weaving and like really immersed in the world, which was always had amazing sound, like soundscape music and always had amazing visuals. When I was actually immersed, I was like, it's just so cool. It's just, you know, directed by David Lowry. And it's just clearly a vision like that's what i like most about this movie is that they wanted to do something and they did it like i could i i want to say like oh i couldn't even tell you what it is i mean i could tell you a bit about what it is but i just mean please don't that, don't spoil it no no not not that i just mean like it's that line that people say it's whereas like because it is confusing it's a very confusing and metaphorical and symbolic movie but i did Look up a bunch of reviews, looked up what people had to say about how it differs from the original legend, which I have not read, full disclosure. But hearing what people said, how it differed and what it was doing in comparison was really interesting. I just, like, David Lowry is one of the most confusing directors of late. Right. Because he makes this Green Knight movie, which, like, just in a cinematic, in a, in a critical sense from the trailers and the fact that it's coming from A24, which does a lot of atmospheric, very like avant-garde, weird, fun, interesting movies. Yeah. It looks really fucking good. And every review I've heard is that it's really fucking good. Maybe a little up its ass, but like yeah. good. But then he makes he makes Ghost Story, which is 
beyond a little up its own ass. Yes, yes. I I fucking hate that movie so goddamn much. There's an eight minute long pie eating scene where this bitch just eats a whole blueberry pie start to finish. You'll never get over this scene. Slowly. I will never get over it. She eats the whole fucking pie. She slides to the floor to finish eating this pie. She gets up. She throws up the whole pie. Yeah. And then she just walks away. And that's the entire it's eight minutes silent yeah. eating. If you t- if if you somehow made that kind of like long shot idea where people are just doing something, but actually made it interesting and good, I'd say that is kind of the vibe of Green Knight. It's they do talk a lot, but like there is often scenes where he's just walking through a woods and it's the backgrounds, it's the mistiness, or it's the like is yeah, he, this is just you know, like he eats a mushroom and it's like, is he hallucinating now? Or is he still on his quest you know and yeah and that's that's cool and interesting this is just some like suburban housewife widow eating a whole fucking Mm -hmm. pie and i think the most like egregious part of this is that there was an interview done with him after the movie came out where the interviewer was like oh like of this whole movie what what were you most excited about for people to see and he actually had the gall to be like the shot in this movie that i'm most proud of that i think is the most powerful is when she's eating the pie. And that was like, we, I suffered over this scene. I had to get it perfect. We had to keep going back. It is the most powerful thing. You motherfucker. (laughs) Are you serious? Eating a goddamn pie for eight minutes. I've never wanted to punch somebody in the face more. That is so pretentious. Fuck off, David Lowry. And then he goes on to make Pete's Dragon the worst Oh, I didn't Fundamentally look into this. Fundamentally worst remake movie of anything. He made Pete's Dragon. Watch yeah. it. It's terrible. Watch it just because it's so bad to see what he's making now compared to well, like what he made five years ago. That movie is yeah. horrendous. This this is good context. Important to know. But Green Knight is good. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I'm sure it is. Yeah. I'm sure it is. And it looks really good. And I think it's probably helpful for him that there's source material and he and it's source material where it's like expected that you go pretentious you know that Mm -hmm. you that you be like a little well one thing yeah one thing i don't like is so many you know there's like the the snow white and the huntsman there's so many fairy tale retellings you know out and there's you know hansel and seven hansel and gretel movies or whatever no 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 the most recent one is called gretel and hansel but i mean boring too some of them are probably fine or whatever but it's like there, there's this sense in which they pick up these and it's almost like there's the disneyfication of these fairy tales to make them more palatable in a certain sense and then it's like someone looked at the disney version and found the couple really weird moments and then like grim darked that into these new movies and so it feels like a butchery of a butchery the green knight feels like someone went back to that original story and was like actually thinking like what is bizarre about this to the like to the mm-hmm. modern mindset? What can we see in the medieval mind that like really messes with our mind today? Says a man who didn't read the original source material. Yes, but I did listen <laughs> to the reviews. I did see what people were saying, and you know, I, I have know, it's read. Just, it's it's like a little this. funny. Yes, yes, yes. But you can definitely feel this vibe because I think some of the weirdest points or the points where characters are most okay with what's happening are kind of so different from the modern mindset. And one thing I did like hearing is I didn't know who this green knight was or what's going on here. I heard, you know, it's like an, um, not an elk, um, an ant, like it's a tree man. And it is, 
But okay. it's actually from this person, like actually from Sabrina, they use the same character from the Green Man, which was like a pagan idea and is prominent in many other cultures too. That is predates medieval or Christian belief. But Christians actually kept up with this Green Man idea. And actually, even to Arthurian times or to the 10th, 15th century, they still would have churches where they carve out this like face with greenery um, coming out of it and stuff like this. So they still had this portion of the pagan mindset within them. Yeah, and that's because what the Christians stole like the entire religion. Even the Christian holidays are pagan holidays. They are, but this is like an actual like sort in a way deity from there that they actually still cared about. Whereas, you know, they obviously stopped caring about like they do the saints and God instead of. I can't remember any Greek god at the moment, but, you know, the, the Greek gods. Well, Greek gods aren't pagan. Aren't they? Greek gods and, Greek gods and pagan gods aren't the same thing, because paganism is, like, its own religion that has different gods. Some There's some crossover, but there's, like, ancient Greek religion, and then there's pagan religion that would have been, you know, in, like, the Celtic areas. So there's, like, Druidic religions and and, like, you know, old witchcrafty pagan religions. They're not the same religion. There's some crossover, right? Because, like, pagan religion has, like, Gaia, and there's sort of a Mother Earth-type figure in, like, Greek and Roman religions and stuff, because they have Persephone and Persephone's mother in charge of mm-hmm. the seasons and greenery and all that shit. But, yeah, they're, they are different religions. Yeah, I... Hmm. I don't know why I can't remember what I know about that, because I can't remember which... For, like, for sure, during Roman times, that was considered, like, they were trying to get rid of the old religion, which I believe was called paganism. Well, so during Roman times, they were trying to get rid of um, polytheistic religions, which included like paganism, but there's also like a bunch of other different sects of polytheistic religions that were like prevalent across Europe, including Druidism and other versions of paganism. Yeah. It's just like polytheism in general. But regardless, yeah, it's clearly this clash between paganism and Christian values in this. And it's just... It's so many different influences being put into one sort of movie that it really brings this mystical feeling, um, like this interesting type of mystery. So I came out of the theater kind of thinking that I liked the movie but didn't understand a lot of it and was more like I could just tell it was very, very well made. But once I dove into the rabbit hole more, I was like, no, no, no. Like, they really thought about this and really made some interesting choices and interesting things. So just a really cool experience overall. And I would highly recommend going to see it. Yeah, I really want to see it as much as David Lowry. Yes. (laughs) Really fucking irritates me. I still really want to see it. But like, I'm a whore for A24 movies, so I'll pretty much go see anything that they bring out at this point. Mm hmm. I heard that you have a quite a list of stuff you've been racking up. Yeah, I mean, that makes it sound bad. That makes it sound like I have no life. I've seen you in between this shit, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I've watched a bunch of stuff. I've gotten really into Apple TV because mm-hmm. I have Apple TV. I don't pay for it. I got it for free with my work phone, which is hysterical i'm just taking advantage of this free trial that they gave me free year and a half long fucking trial that they gave me um (laughs) so i finally actually sat down and like watched a bunch of shit that's on there Mm -hmm. that's been touted as being super popular i feel like no one talks about apple tv it's kind of bizarre in the like streaming i mean yes and no apple tv 
so like I think part of the reason nobody really talks about it is because Apple TV only brings out originals. Mm. So like it's not like Netflix where they have both originals and just like shitloads of other content. Um, they only do originals. But all of their originals that I've watched so far have been so fucking consistently good. Like they're just they look really clean and they're very well acted and they all have great actors in them and like the stories are consistent. Even mm. when they're not like um like amazing premiere television level like they're still very consistently good so one of the ones that i watched and i mean i've seen a bunch of i've seen defending jacob i've seen servant which is the m night Shyamalan horror TV yes show, that one which sa- i fucking yeah, love yeah that one sounded really cool yeah I've, there's two seasons of it now i've watched both highly recommend which is surprising for me because i shit on m night Shyamalan pretty often uh because he's just such a huge fucking disappointment to me <laughs> I take it very personally. He was so good. He was such a like, I, big part of my childhood. I really want to see old. I'm not going to lie. It. I love I the do premise. Too. I also love, I love Alex Wolf. Mm. I just, since Hereditary, I'm like, man. And he, even, even the Jumanji movies, the stupid ass Jumanji movie remakes. He's, he's good. I like mm. Alex Wolf a lot. Anyway, so on Apple TV, I've watched a bunch of shows. One of the ones that I watch that gets talked about a ton and I think has won like a bunch of Golden Globes on Emmys and shit is The Morning Show. Right. Okay. Yeah. The Morning Show has, and I'm sure tons of people have heard of it because it's got Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, and Steve Carell in it. So Mm -hmm. huge cast. I feel like there's a series of Reese Witherspoon shows that's like everyone follows now, like Big Little Lies into Little Fires Everywhere and now into The Morning Show. Yeah. And a lot of these are pretty similar. Like, Little Fires Everywhere and Big Little Lies are the exact same character. Mm -hmm. Like, she's playing the exact same person. (laughs) The morning show's a little bit different. I had incorrectly assumed that this was going to be, like, a 30 Rock sitcom type thing. And it did not appeal to me because of who the actors were. And, like, the only thing I knew was that it was, like, a morning news show. So I was like, oh, it's, like, fucking 30 Rock. I don't want to watch that. That's not my jam. And then I found out that it's, like, this like hard drama with dark comedy and i was like oh shit (laughs) so i watched it it's very much in the me too kind of realm like that's very much what the province revolves around okay this hyper popular morning news show like a breakfast television in canada if you were and the one of the co-anchors on this new show gets caught up in like a me too scandal the guy inevitably gets fired yeah the guy and he gets fired because it's, you know, basically like a coercive type situation where he was abusing his power um, yep. to get these like young interns mm-hmm. and stuff to sleep with him. So he gets fired. And the whole the whole show is basically about like the damage that this did to the like the friendship between the two co-anchors, the environment on this show that nurtured sort of his ability to do these things and manipulate these women mm-hmm. and like utilize his power and the people who are complicit in that and then trying to like rebrand and reimage themselves so that the show doesn't fall apart so they don't all lose their careers so that yep. they're wiped out with scandal So it's all these little things that, like, we have seen happen in real time over the last 10 years in a very, like, condensed format. And you're looking at it through, like, multiple lenses because you have all these different narrators in it, right? So you're looking at it through the eyes of this co-anchor and she can't, like, handle the admission that, like, she was complicit in this even if she didn't know she, like, 
saw yep. the attitude and and sort of promoted the like boys club goofing around attitude that let that allowed him to get away with this and like the producer who sort of didn't want to go against the grain and lose his rank so he helped cover up these things and it's just like all of That's these the different thing, people yeah. who hate themselves <sighs> that complicitness or even if you're not complicit right the fact that once something you know, gets canceled or has a scandal behind it. It's like you might have been working on it and had nothing to do with any of that stuff, right? How can you feel proud anymore? Or, you know, just losing your job on that thing that might have lasted many more years. It's just there's so many unintentional consequences to these things that just feels so frustrating. And especially when it comes to with a morning show, I don't think it's as much like if you're a tech grip or whatever. I'm not sure you're being like, oh my God, I could never, like, this is my artistic vision, blah, blah, blah. But with a mm. lot of stuff, there's one actor that's canceled in a movie. Everyone else, every other actor, every other person involved, it, for them, it's an artistic thing too. And now it'll forever be seen like slandered. Lard. Yeah. Um, as And yeah. as we've talked about with Polanski films, with Kevin Spacey films, with these things. And it's just like, it's so hard to to look back at those things now. Well, the other issue too is like for long running television shows and news networks and all that shit, for a lot of these people, it's just like, this is their job. Absolutely. It's their fucking livelihood. And this one person sort of destroys everyone's trust by manipulating women and using their power to like ostensibly sexually assault people and rape people and they get fired and the whole show gets wiped out with scandal. So the show goes off the air and potentially hundreds of people lose their job. Yeah. And that's the thing that and we like, can't allow the the fact that these consequences would happen to prevent. Because I think what, you know, a common thing is like, well, I don't want to believe this scandal because that would mean my Roseanne or whatever I can't watch anymore. Man, fuck Roseanne. It's so hard when we love the thing that we, and we don't want to see it canceled. And so we're we're so. Yeah. We, we, we want to defend uh, the stuff around it. So, yeah, that sounds it sounds interesting. It is interesting. There's moments of like really interesting sort of dark comedy too. That's like funny in an uncomfortable way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I think that's I very love that real. Stuff. Love dark comedy. And the acting is like really, really solid. I like Steve Carell in a more dramatic role. I, I just, I have since little miss sunshine. I think he's good at dark comedy. He's good yeah. at sarcasm. He it can have like gravitas to a role and he can feel very much like a real person and i think in a lot of these type types of shows that are supposed to be sort of like relatable and shining a light on something that you know we as a society have experienced not every actor is capable of seeming like a real person mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean like like they're not an actor on the screen like they're a genuine this this is exactly what this human being would like would be like and i think he leans into the role in a way that like feels very human and very natural nice which i like and the other the nice thing too in in sort of a um like a foil to that is jennifer aniston who plays his co-anchor and she's very much like the reserved sort of like on her high horse kind of untouchable very like other celebrity status type thing so like yep. steve carell's character he starts out of course as a celebrity but he's charming and he's funny and he's interesting and people love him and get along with him and they hate jennifer aniston because she's like cold and 
stays apart from the like rest of the crew and she's kind of frigid and she's very career focused and like very aggressive about it because you know she had to work harder as a woman Mm -hmm. um and now that she's aging they don't like her anymore and she knows that and i like that there is this juxtaposition because this charming wonderful very human seeming real person who doesn't get caught up in celebrity turns out to be fucking aberrant just terrible person yeah and like refuses to take responsibility or admit that anything that he did was like a breach of trust or an abuse of power and this woman that everyone thinks is a bitch is like doing everything she can to hold it together for her family and for this job because she doesn't want to lose her career and lose all these friends that she's made it's like this is like very i like the foibles between these people really cool so it's really well done it's really really fun and interesting and like very timely yeah it doesn't necessarily remind me but this this one's i watched the movie um my salinger year on prime and it's like one of these movies that's like it is solid i loved it for like the night but i don't have that much to say about it it felt a little i'll just say it paint by numbers for this type of movie Mm -hmm. and so what it is is like a a literary assistant played by Margaret Qualley, named Joanna. She becomes an agent's an agent's assistant. She wants to be in publishing or whatever, but instead becomes uh, an agent uh, assistant for, very fun little tie-in here, uh, well, tie-in, mystery tie-in, Sigourney Weaver, who uh, <laughs> plays... Love Sigourney yeah, Weaver. She plays the, the actual agent in a very Devil Wears Prada type way. Of just yes. being like things. So it's a really fun dynamic. She's just like a thing. And she's the agent for J.D. Salinger. And the the office is ancient and stuffy. And like they don't even want to use computers. Is J.D. Salinger still alive? Yes. At the time of this movie, which is like 1995 or something. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So he, But he hadn't written a book in like 40 years at this point. No. But she's all about the literary and just smokes in the office. And she's mm-hmm. like what is this computer? Yeah. Do we need these? You know, type Love. thing. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's such a, it's such an atmosphere. She has the best moment, which is, I won't spoil, but there's a moment at the end of the movie, just in her office, having this short little speech. That's just perfect. There's moments like that, that are transcendent in the movie. And that I love, but the actual premise is Joanna, the um, assistant taking people's letters to JD Salinger and like, living vicariously through these people who are obsessed with Catcher in the Rye and being obsessed with their stories to him, where she can only type back kindest regards, but we never give letters to J.D. Salinger because he's a total recluse, right? So she can never do anything with them, but she has to read them all. And so it's just her sort of journey of self-discovery. But the movie is really excellent. I just think it is a little sort of it's not Devil Wears Prada and it's not Lady Bird. Like it just doesn't quite transcend in any one direction. But if you like that atmosphere and that vibe, and especially if you like Catching the Rye, it's like a cool um, vibe for that world. I feel like everyone who does like Catcher in the Rye never wants to say that they do. Mm. It's like when people hate Catcher in the Rye, it's such a like visceral and right. aggressive hatred of that, movie, of that book. I, I find it funny. I'm one of those people who I actually, I because I do agree that almost everyone I meet is one or the other, whereas I feel very lukewarm towards it. I read it and I thought, actually, this is a kind of interesting book and I hate this character so much and do not want to associate with it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's a hateable character. It's a good book. It's a well-written book. It's just, you know, yeah. Holden Caulfield fucking sucks. 
That's the point of the book. He's supposed to suck. There is one part of the movie I want to talk about. They're publishing a new book by J.D. Salinger, which was actually already partially published in a magazine uh, like The New Yorker or something like this. And he says, don't fix the typos that were in the New Yorker version. Like when we're doing the new, don't fix the typos. And the bookbinder couldn't understand why when he was looking over it and he found these typos and wanted to fix them, why J.D. Salinger would want this, right? But then the main character reads over in The Catcher in the Rye and anyone who's read knows at least the grammar is weird in places. And so that seems to be sort of connected to Holden's mindset. And the ty- one of the typos was, it was uh, supposed to say he was quite angry, but it said he was quiet angry. Mm. And stuff like that, it's just, you never know, right? You never know if that's purposeful or if that's trying to say something else in itself or if it's just a typo. And I think J.D. Salinger was sort of saying here that it's like those kind of messy accidents can actually be interesting moments. And so I'm not sure he was saying that they were purposeful in New Yorker. He's just saying if they're there, they're part of the story now. So I, yeah. I don't know. I, I For some reason, I find that a very interesting little moment. But yeah, I didn't want to say too much about it. So cut off there. <laughs> Moving on. Yes. Okay. I, I don't have a ton to say about this one. So this one will be quick. But I did, um, I watched Freaky. Okay, yes. That was like a movie that just came out, right? Uh, yeah, it just came to streaming. Yeah. So if you're in Canada, it's on Crave. If you're in the States, I don't know what the fuck it's on. Probably Hulu, because that's where everything is now. But <laughs> Freaky is by the same team that did uh, Happy Death Day. Okay. And basically what this team seems to be doing is taking family comedies... And turning them into irreverent right, right, right. horror films. Yes. Okay. So we have we have Groundhog Day with Happy Death Day. And it is very literally just Groundhog Day. But it's great. It's super fun. It's very effective. It's well acted. Mm-hmm. It, it works. Um, and now we have Freaky, which is more or less Freaky Friday. But instead of a you know mother and daughter or, or father and son, depending on which version you watch, uh, switching bodies, it is this teen girl. And a 40-something-year-old serial killer. Okay, good stuff. The movie's got a very, really fantastic cold open. Like, just a really Mm, good cold open for a horror movie. Very reminiscent of the cold open in Scream. Yes. But with, like, a larger group of kids as opposed to just your Barrymore. You were the one who taught me about the whole coolness of the cold open in Scream. Or, like, why it's so special. Yeah. It's amazing. (laughs) complete throwback to psycho you kill your star in the first 20 minutes of the movie so anyway this cold open and freaky is baller bunch of teens having a party at a house very standard horror movie opener serial killer goes into the house kills the teens horribly some excellent deaths if you're a fan of slasher movies nice like spear through the chest pinning girl to the wall moment Mm. excellent and he steals a artifact an artifact from this house and and it appears that that is the main reason he went into the house and killed these teens was to get this Mm. artifact which is a dagger the reason i say it's reminiscent of scream is because the parents come home they see blood they realize something's happened to their daughter they go in they see the daughter pinned to the wall right with the spear in the chest very reminiscent to picking up the phone to try and call her daughter and you can hear her being stabbed to death anyway 
moving on. Not super important. I just like those little callback moments to popular movies. So he steals this dagger and he's he's going. He's on his way. We meet the teen girl who's going to be our focus figure for the movie. She's a nerd. The most stunningly gorgeous <laughs> dorky nerd that everyone makes fun of, of course. Anyway, she's she's like a mascot or whatever for the school's sports team. She's waiting for her mom to come pick her up. Serial killer tries to kill her. Stabs her with this dagger artifact that he stole from the house in the beginning. And they switch bodies. Mm -hmm. And that's what this dagger does. So it's giving, you know, it's giving Freaking Friday, obviously, with the title. But it's also given a little bit of, like, child's play. With this, like, magic spell and dagger moment. yeah. Yeah. And it's just... It's really good. Um, in the same way that Jack Black playing a teenage girl in Jumanji is is funny because of mm-hmm. the level he goes to, right? He doesn't go too far. It doesn't feel like he's making fun of girls for like liking girly shit. It just it's just like a forty year old man trying to pretend he's a teenage girl, so that's automatically funny. And Vince Vaughn does the same thing. He doesn't. It's it's not like this melodramatic pantomime of a teen girl where it feels like he's mocking women. It it just it just feels like a dad, you know, mimicking his daughter. Like that's that's what it mm-hmm. feels like. But he's he's really good in the role and like that's what really makes it. And then this teen girl pretending to be now she's a 40-year-old serial killer in the body of a teen girl. They could have gone so creepy with that, so gross, and they really don't. Like mm. they he just uses her sort of like presence in this school as a way to lure teens so he can murder them because that's his objective so it doesn't come off as pervy at any point which is awesome there's this like really endearing sweet moment between vince vaughn the teenage girl and like this girl's mother where he's trying on clothes in a change room and they're talking between the door and she doesn't the mother has no idea that like She's talking to the daughter. She just thinks she's talking to like a grown man. And it's like very sweet and endearing and lovely. And I mean, I I think it's the same with Happy Death Day. They're not fucking phenomenally good movies, but they're fun yeah. and they don't take themselves too seriously. No, yeah, it's a vibe. And they, they don't, yeah, and they don't feel like they're ripping off what they're homaging to. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. What they're hearkening back to. They just feel like these love letters to like, popular movies of the 80s and 90s which i you know i love yeah (laughs) i love a good homage i hate a ripoff and these feel honest about what they're trying to do i want to let you go through one or two more of did you have uh another big one you wanted to dive into (laughs) i feel like i know what you want me to do i know i don't i Um, I was not (laughs) implying one yeah the list is long so i did not that's true. The list is long. You you have seen the yes. list. He pretended that he was like, oh, I, he- I hear, I hear you yes. fine. Well, I don't know how much you want like, me we to. Hung at, we hung yes. out like a week ago and I oh showed it God. to you. <laughs> I never know how much because you're always yeah. like, oh, don't don't mention this about me. I don't want them to see that I just watch TV 40 hours a week. Okay, well, don't tell people. <laughs> don't tell people that I'm this like level of shallow. Oh, but the I'm list. So but the list was supposed to be open information. Oh, my God. Can you not? Can you not tell the podcast about my neuroses, especially now that people are actually fucking listening mm. to it? Oh yes, that was fun news too. <laughs> we actually got like yes. a decent patch of listeners for a while. If you guys could keep that up, you know. we'd be very happy. Hello, welcome. Please don't leave. 
I really hope this wasn't a one-off. I know I'm a lot to handle. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I finally got my shit together and watched Bo Burnham's Inside. Oh, okay, yes. I literally, yeah, until you said it. I thought you were yeah. hinting too. No, I was not hinting at it. Because um, that wasn't on the list. We, t- we talked about I it know, at the but beginning it of the episode. The, <laughs> um, the off-air portion, you didn't hear that. Unless he left it in. Anyway. Yes, I finally watched it, and I've been putting it off and putting it off because it's been all over my fucking TikTok for you page. And I've um, recommended just, it like four times. And Well, yes, you've recommended it. Other people have recommended it. It's all over my fucking for you page. And that it's usually when I get recommended things this much, it makes me not want to watch them. Like if people are saying this is the best thing I've seen in like a yeah. year or whatever, it, it just makes me indignant about it because my expectations are too high. But with this everyone I've spoken to is like it is an emotional overload but it's really fucking amazing so you should watch it and I'm like I don't know if I'm mentally prepared for this and everything I've seen on TikTok has been the same right it's people making fun of the fact that they were like fuck I feel horrible now but it was so good so I've just been like putting it off putting it off I finally sat down and watched it on a Sunday night which god knows why I thought that was a good idea (laughs) gotta go to work on Monday I'm gonna watch this like highly depressive mental breakdown of one of our favorite comedians um <laughs> but i watched it of course i loved it because we love bo burnham mm-hmm. he at least subjectively to me is probably one of the best comedic performers mm-hmm. in our generation and certainly one of the most experimental yeah which i think is what's so interesting about this it's also an it's- amazing musician like it's just it's wild yeah he is very much theater kid music, but still exceptionally good theater kid yeah. music. And I think what I like so much about Bo Burnham's Inside is it's it's doing this like emotional sort of blurring the line between comedy and drama thing. And it is very experimental in its style in the same way that Nanette, another comedy yes. special that, you know, won a bunch of awards for being so experimental and, and emotionally overloading was... But the difference between Inside and Nanette to me is that Inside is actually funny. <laughs> Nanette is a fucking slog. Yeah. I'm sorry if you like Nanette. It is beautifully crafted. It is incredibly well done. It's not fucking funny. Mm-hmm. It should never have been nominated as a comedy special. It shouldn't be referred to as a comedy special. It's not funny. Mm-hmm. It's more a, a monologue. Yes, it's a dramatic monologue. And it is incredibly well done. And it should definitely be respected. It's not funny. Bo Burnham's Inside is very much dark comedy Mm -hmm. and it is incredibly emotional and very tense, but it is genuinely funny and irreverent too. It's so, and that's, that's what's so effective to me in grading on my emotions. Like I, I was telling you that like, as I'm watching this, I could feel the anxiety in me building up throughout it because it is raw and very intense and the ending is incredibly cathartic. But it still has these uncomfortable moments that you can't help but laugh at. Like, they're genuinely funny, but they come in these high wire tension, emotional apexes. Yeah. The, I mean, yeah, that ending with the, um, or at least the part I'm thinking about the ending where he talks about him trying to go back on stage for Mm -hmm. things. Yeah, that was so... Spo- you know, I, just like, I think he says it like spoiler alert, like it doesn't go well when he finally tries to get back into it. Finally coming out of the room 
and then getting locked out like this room that he hated being in and then the like you know dramatic cinematic moment of being locked out and not being able to get back in was so uncomfortable for me really (laughs) so intense and just like you can feel it getting to the point where he's going to break down yeah and that starts bringing up all of the like for me at least the tension and the discomfort and and the depression and frustration of the lockdown of being yes you know separated from the people that you love but then also not wanting to be around people and like how to deal with that how to try and work through a global trauma like a fucking pandemic and still like exist as a human being and be productive but also stay away from everyone you care about that is a support system for you mm-hmm. has been horrific it's been awful i think he managed yeah I was just going to say, I feel like we as like a collective of people have done a really good job, at least within our generation and the generation below us, have done a really good job of sort of laughing about the tragedy of this pandemic, of the trauma, of like the collective trauma of this pandemic. And like, in a way, and still trying to have fun and be like, sort of, sort of snarky and irreverent about it um, online and with our friends and whatever. And And I think in some ways it's sort of taken us away from dealing with the fact that like this is a genuine trauma that so many people are living through, like Mm -hmm. having to be separated, having loved ones die, trying to be productive, trying to keep existing when the world is completely different. And there's something incredibly cathartic about somebody going through that same struggle and just uh, like sort of allowing themselves or giving them room, giving themselves room to break down. And letting you see that level yeah. of, you know, emotional instability in that moment. And it was, for me, like a serious punch to the chest. Like yeah. a big confrontation of like, I have truly been like removing myself from my actual emotional and like mental response to this situation um, and avoiding it. And I'm, I'm not doing great. He reminds me of my absolute favorite content creator, ContraPoints, on YouTube in this combination of authenticity in the present moment and thinking and dealing with one's emotions all at the same time in it. They're both wickedly funny, too, but there's this way of dark humor when you're in a bad mental space, especially where, yes, the premise is that he's locked in his in his you know quarantine box in the show, but every song he manages to touch on so many modern issues, so many different aspects of things, some of which have almost nothing to do with the pandemic, but they are all things that we're dealing with at the same time as the pandemic yeah. existing. And, and it's that chain of events, that thing of him, him bringing together such a kaleidoscope of different issues and different things people have been thinking about for a while and him just expressing in this like darkly humorous, musical and powerful way. The combination is just the fact of the matter, it's, it's, it's artistically powerful. Like, this is what we mean when we say yeah. something is artistically strong. Well, and I like, I like the fact that he's sort of criticizing and, and in some instances mocking different aspects of society. But all the while he's saying, my opinion isn't any more important than these people, but we still need to be critical yeah. of what these people are saying and doing. And we need to be critical of ourselves. Um, and I, it's such a weird line to walk, right? Because if you're if you're too critical of everyone else, it can sound preachy. And if you're too critical of yourself, it undermines your own point. I think he balances it well with good humor and with 
an openness and an almost unabashedness that makes it so compelling and so relatable. Absolutely. It doesn't feel like he's alienating anyone when he turns the lens back on himself so openly. Yep. Although apparently some white women got mad about white women. Yes, I heard about that. Which which... I found hysterical. Like of all of the things about Bo Burnham, they're like, it's misogyny. And I'm like, I mean, I guess, but not really. I, you know, those things can go either way. And I think it's, this is one of the things that I like. It's like, it's a sort of, for me, it's an authenticity check of like, where is he coming from? And is he, you know, punching down when he's making those things? He clearly likes Instagram or likes looking at this stuff because his level of attention is not just a hater's level. Well, and that's well, that's the thing, right? It didn't feel like punching down to me because, at, in some ways, it feels like sort of a love letter to that freedom of like re- expression right, yeah. about the sort of basic things that women like, which is true. They are they are basic. I like them too. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just sort of a collective thing that a lot of women like taking these types of pictures, and that's totally fine. And he seems to get some enjoyment out of it while still managing to be critical of like the performative activism so common amongst white women, especially with like the lack of intersectionality and feminism and like, you know, white women having a difficult time being critical of what white feminism is in comparison to the collective whole of womanhood (laughs) and how problematic it can be. And I think that is an interesting conversation to have because white women just loving things is great and wholesome and very cute white women putting you know a black square up on their instagram and being like i stopped racism not great Mm -hmm. not awesome and i say this as a white woman it's not it's you're not helping anybody you're not doing anything and i like that there is that criticism there because i think that's valuable and valid because it's still it doesn't feel like he's mocking us it feels like he's being like hey i love that you love these things but maybe let's like dig a little deeper here because you're not helping. I uh, I do want to talk about it. So we're editing. Here we come for this episode. But um, I just yeah. finished a show with my mom. This one I won't have to talk about too much because it's a season two. But I finished season two of My Brilliant Friend, which is the Italian mm. show. It's on. Yes. H- it's an HBO show for Canadians. It's on Crave based on the series of books, which has won a ton of awards they just have very bad covers and i think that has kind of put them in a weird space Mm. for people but called the neapolitan novels there's four of them by elena ferrante which is not her real name but it's kind of cute because the main character of the novels making it sort of autobiographical is named elena but Mm. people have sort of narrowed down who they think the author is but technically it's still anonymous we still don't know for sure so that's kind of interesting too but it's set between 1950s to 1970s uh, Italy. It's set in a suburb just outside Naples. And it's about two young girl friends, who, one of which is clearly like a brilliant genius. But in early elementary school, she realizes her family's not going to let her continue with schooling. And so she has to find other ways to engage her mind and, and try to build a rich life for herself. Whereas Elena, mm-hmm. the main character, she... Uh, is not as intelligent, but is diligent and is able to continue going in schooling. Um, and that's where the second season continues off, where she's continued in schooling and has gone to high school now, whereas Leela, her best friend, who's this genius, has had to marry and has had to use her 
um, intelligence to figure out ways to sustain herself financially or sus- like mm. uh, keep her life interesting um, things. But she does not like the prejudices or the, the entrappings of marriage or the expectations of having kids and of doing these things. And so she's at war with herself in a way. And Elena is sort of looking on the sidelines. The second season, just like the first, is this incredibly rich, brilliant psychological study. The atmosphere of Italy during that time that they managed to capture is just perfection. I don't know what Italy was like during that time, but this feels so authentic. So it's not trying to be kitschy or extra about it. It feels so much like someone just trying to transport you to that world in a very authentic way. And the story just explores the psychologies of people coming to age, coming of age in a really interesting way. It talks about sex. It talks about relationships. It talks about dreams and what the realities of life lets you do. And in Italy during this time, it also engages in this peripheral way with politics, with the fact of why they were poor, why these things had to do with World War II. And then going into the 60s and 70s, the incredible richness that... Italy was gaining this like they were thing and becoming a fashionable ca- capital of the world and all these things that they were qu- kind of in the second season you're really caught up in the whirlwind of and so everything is becoming fashion and beauty and this incredible exuberance of money where they came from a background of ex- in a way extreme poverty extreme is a strong word but it, of of poverty of of workaday people um mm-hmm. and so it just captures every aspect of of the human experience during but in a very particular time and place in this incredible way so i just think it's so cool that this show exists it's you know translated from italy like you don't get these shows from other places very often like these other things like it's we're so stuck in the american shows and movies mindset most of the time especially for tv shows with movies yes sometimes some foreign films really make a splash over here but except for like very like like you know um, Korean dramas or stuff like that which is like a whole genre onto itself yeah that's a whole different thing although like, I mean I don't know dark has been very very popular yeah. the returned did really really well yes. when the French I, version but that's first that's came why over. I think they're so special because I love these ones that do make it over because they tend to be very interesting and to me mm-hmm. this one is absolutely in that same camp it's as as good as dark as good as um the returned which are both also excellent. Yeah. But yeah, so I just, and I got to finish that with my mom to do another, you know, uh, connected watch. And just no one else watches my pretentious bullshit shows. So what what I do? Watch stuff with you sometimes <laughs> that I'm not that into. Uh, well, I watched shows. that portrait of a lady on fire. Yes. And didn't like it. <laughs> no, I didn't. And, but no. not, not, not your fault, but it's, it's ironic that a couple of our episodes, the lost episodes have been like these really pretentious artsy movies too yeah that has nothing to do with me no but i I'm feel like, like you you curse them yes, yes the you're just like <laughs> hey i watched tenet and i fucking hated that pretentious well that one shit. is pretentious in the worst way as in in yeah, just being really is terrible. i will never stop bringing up my hatred of christopher nolan this is a chris nolan hate podcast <laughs> i still like most of his movies that? too bad i don't anyway moving on uh before i lose all of our listeners Moving on. Um, movie news. Did you hear about the amazing comeback of Brendan Fraser? Yes. Yes, that was very cute. I loved that 
the news and stuff. Oh my time. god, I love him so much. I've I've loved Brendan Fraser for a very long time, and I'm sure a ton of people have. I mean, he was a huge part of our childhood. If you grew up in the '90s, you know, George of the Jungle and Encino Man and Blast from the Past and all the Mummy movies. Mm-hmm. He was hugely popular <laughs> in the 90s. Uh, and then he just sort of, you know, disappeared. And Brendan Fraser has been through so much in yeah. in the last, like, decade or two. And he's coming back swinging. And I love that for him. Um, but he is he has been cast in two very high-profile, likely very pretentious film mm-hmm. stop movies. Uh, the Whale, which is Darren Aronofsky's okay. new upcoming picture. Nice. Obviously, it's going to have some kind of religious undertone because all of his fucking movies do these days. Yeah. Um, Sounds and like Joan the Whale Aronofsky or too. something like that. Yeah. yeah. I'm still going to end up going to see it um, because I will support Brendan Fraser in all things. Uh, but he's also been cast in the new Martin Scorsese film. Right. Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm. Yes, that is it. And he has been cast alongside Leonardo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. Scorsese's favorite. Yep. Scorsese's new favorite now that De Niro and Pacino and the whole and and Pesci are all too old for him. Um, <laughs> are these his used his used lovers? <laughs> yeah, dude. Like no, I know you're right. Yeah. It was it was always like especially De Niro and Pesci yeah. were like the big Scorsese boys in the seventies and eighties, and then moving a little bit in th- into the nineties, and then they got too old, and he got the young boys in. Yeah, because Scorsese. Yeah. And nobody talks about how that's kind of a little weird. But Tar- I mean, Tarantino does the same shit. So whatever. But Brandon Fraser will be in that, too. And I will go see it, too, even though I just shit on Martin Scorsese as well. Um, but I'm very, very excited. And it was funny. This has made a huge splash in the news, too. Obviously, we're both on TikTok mm-hmm. constantly. And it had popped up on my For You page, uh, this one person that I follow, had a meet and greet you know they were okay. able to get a meet and greet with brendan fraser through a zoom call this person's a huge like mummy fan big brendan fraser fan they were very excited and at that point the internet was going nuts with hyper positive comments about brendan fraser getting cast in these two big movies and making his comeback and everyone was like so excited and happy for him mm. so they mentioned that during the meet and greet And they're like, well, I just want to let you know the entire internet's behind you and you have tons of fans and we're all so excited to have you back in movies. And Brendan Fraser gets all like choked up and Mm. he's like super happy about it. And it was just such a sweet, endearing moment. Yeah. Everyone should be showing Brendan Fraser all the love. Mm -hmm. I I, I, know. I for Brendan Fraser. I completely agree. It's such a nice. uh, And I just wanted to talk about it because I love him. I when I saw the news. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I'm like, this would be a nice thing to mention. Yeah. The internet has claimed him now. He belongs to us. <laughs> no one will hurt him. <laughs> um, we got, got talking about this uh, this movie now. Okay, fine. Uh, did you want to introduce it? Yes, yes. So this was my pick, and I feel like if you if you start listening to our episodes, you're gonna really notice the stylistic <laughs> differences between whether we tell you or not. You're gonna be able to figure no, out who all, picked what. Yeah, they're all. It's all just a scatter box. You'd never be able to tell who's who's. Yeah. <laughs> It's just like so aggressively clear the oh. like shit movies that I picked. Oh my god. I love I, I love trash. Get, yeah, but I love to be hot fair, trash. You gave me a list and this is my pick of the list. So it's That's a sort true. of combo. I gave you a list so so this week's episode, because we haven't said the title, uh, is Willie's Wonderland. Mm-hmm. Which 
just recently in Canada became available on Netflix. I don't know where it's available in the United States. I don't look up that information. Google it yourself. We're <laughs> so useful. Wonderland. I know. I'm not helpful at all. Whatever. Fuck off. You can use Google. It's free. Willie's Wonderland is another just unhinged fucking coke addicted Nick Cage movie that has come out in recent years, which is so my vibe. Um, And it's it's literally like I'm sure many of the people listening to this podcast remember like eight years ago when the Five Nights at Freddy's people Mm -hmm. were like, we're going to make a movie out of this fucking video game that everyone was on the internet was obsessed with like we were just all for six months unrelenting about this five nights friday's game and we're gonna make a movie about it they never did and now we have willie's wonderland which is this like knockoff nick cage coke fueled five nights friday's movie but basically small town old children's restaurant that's defunct um that is filled with creepy animatronic animals that's, you know, sing and dance when you bring your kid for, like, their birthday party and shit. So it's very, like, Chuck E. Cheese kind of vibe. Um, It's just, like, an old-timey family restaurant. But it's defunct and it's shut down. Nick Cage is blowing into town, pops his tires, gets a tow. They can't fix the tires right away, and they'll only accept cash. So the guy works out a deal with Nick Cage and is like, if you spend a night... For, mm-hmm. for some reason, if you spend a night in this creepy, abandoned children's restaurant cleaning the place up, we'll cover the cost of fixing I, your car. I spent this whole goddamn movie thinking of theories, thinking of like, what's Nicolas Cage doing here? Like you heard, I had like six different theories of like, he's like an ancient warrior. He's like ready. He has a revenge plot against these serial killers. And even you fell into it where there's like, there's this, there's one character who was saved years ago and you're like, oh my God, it's going to be Nicolas Cage. And it's going to be his comeback. And it's like, it's totally we were not. just so wrong about everything. And Like, it was still entertaining to go through those things in the movie, but I, obviously, I was, like, trying to be safe from just this movie going to be Nicolas Cage beating up animatronic puppets for an hour and a half. That's all it is. (laughs) I'm not going to lie to you. If you want to watch this movie, it it really is just an unabashedly unhinged Nicolas Cage beating the shit out of semi-CGI'd animatronic puppet monsters with like a background story teen romp going on Mm -hmm. and that's that's the whole movie um there is no deeper meaning there are some really solid character actors in it that you will recognize such as beth grant who played um the bitchy mom in donnie darko Mm -hmm. if you've seen that movie she's been in a million other things too but but yeah for the most part it's just nicholas cage going fucking nuts on animatronic puppets and i loved it it it's not good mm-hmm. i'm never going to pretend it's good but i i truly love this weird era of like nick cage cinema yeah. and and nick cage movies have always been a little unhinged um like face off is a fucking mess yeah. and nick cage is insane in that movie and the wicker man remake oh my god where he's got the helmet on and he's just screaming about the bees insane movie absolutely nuts but this is like a, a level above where nick cage lost all his money yeah so he's just like willing to do anything 
but he's also a fucking insane person. So it's it's not like Samuel L. Jackson having no standards and just like wanting to be in any movie that he gets offered, which I have no problem with. It's a job and you're operating like it's a job and he's consistently good and everything. Mm-hmm. I like Samuel L. Jackson and everything he's in, but he will kind of just be in anything. This is Nicolas Cage. Like, I don't know if he can only get super weird, esoteric, dumb fucking indie movies or if he's actively pursuing these roles. But like. He did Mandy, which is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Very clearly, we adored Mandy. It is super weird and unhinged, though. I can't remember. Did, did we actually do an episode on Mandy and it got lost? Or do we just talk about it so yeah. much that I just can't believe that we did? No, it was a lost episode yeah. and we can't stop talking about it because yeah. we never actually got the catharsis of the episode. Yeah. Um, he did Color Out of Space, which is no. just objectively bad. Didn't No, that's the one we had. a. Mo- we had both. Oh, we had my both, God. I think. Yeah, they both got lost. Oh um, Color to Space was so terrible. So this is our third time um, recording a Nicolas Cage vehicle movie. <laughs> Don't jinx it, because I loved this movie. Um, I found out recently that Nicolas Cage did, and I was telling you during the during the movie, <laughs> Nicolas Cage did a super Christian rapture movie called Left Behind that he was the star of. Oh my of. god. And it has a 1% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is amazing. So, like, this is just, like, I don't know if he doesn't give a fuck anymore or he's just, like, a super weird dude, but it gives me the same kind of energy as, like, Daniel, post-Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe, mm-hmm. post-Lord of the Rings, Elijah yep. Wood. Yep. They're just, like, doing whatever weird thing have we done a, piques their interest. Have we done a dad, Daniel, Ra- Daniel Radcliffe movie? Uh no, because, we haven't. We've done an Elijah yeah, Wood. And we've done a um, Robert Pattinson. Two, actually, but we I think one be, was yes. a lost episode. We did The Lighthouse. No, because no, we did Devil All the Time. Oh, yes. We did The Lighthouse and we did Tenet. Good time. Oh, my God. We've done four. And good, wow, we've done four, four Robert, Robert Pattinson. Pattinson movies. But we lost Lighthouse. That's unhinged. We lost. Oh, we did lose The Lighthouse. Oh, well. Yeah. Everyone's learning about our entire history of failures. At this <laughs> right. We're so bad at taking care of our own audio. <sighs> anyway. We do need to do a Daniel Radcliffe because I adore him. Mm-hmm. I'd love to do like a Guns Akimbo, right. which I've seen, but I would totally watch again. Super fun. Love Samara Weaving. This is not what this movie is about. I'm sorry. I'm tangenting again. <laughs> I have a weird energy today. But anyway, Willie's Wonderland gives me the same serotonin. And I was saying this during the episode, uh, during the movie. Gives me, it gives me the same serotonin and the same joy that the guest with Dan yes. Stevens gives me because it's just this like. They do have similar vibes. They do. And it's and it's completely and wholly what it is. Yeah. You know, it's not trying to be anything beyond this sort of like 70s grindhouse B movie action schlock that you would want to watch at like a dollar drive-in at midnight. You know, like that's exactly the vibe. And I fucking live for that shit. <laughs> and like, I think the most fun, weird thing about it is with Nicolas Cage, what you expect from him it's like a lot of whisper screaming, mm-hmm. you know, it like starts real quiet and then it gets real loud or it's like he's clearly yelling, but it's weirdly raspy and loud. That's Nicolas Cage, hyper melodramatic acting. This is Nicolas Cage doing hyper melodramatic acting, but it's all face work and grunting. Yep. No lines. He does not speak a lick in this movie. And it is 
so much weirder for some reason than if he actually had lines. It's a cool... It's such a weird energy. Or It's an interesting, like, sort of acting exercise in a way for the movie that he's so present in the entire movie. Like, it's so much a Nicolas Cage movie, and yet he literally doesn't speak. He just manages to be interesting constantly on screen. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, no character name. He's just called the janitor in the (laughs) credits. Absolutely no lines outside of weird grunting. And all he does is drink an excessive amount of fictional energy drinks. Yeah. Play pinball. Pinball. Thank you. I wanted to say pong. And I'm like, that's a different game. Um, Play pinball and murder haunted robots. Yeah. The exposition point in the middle of the movie is so bizarre too. They're just like, okay, here's your backstory. Like the end. Like they just like, they just insert it. It's so long too. Like it's not even like, this is why this place is shut up. And and then you're back in the moment. It's like, let's go all the way back to the very opening of this restaurant. It's like sordid history. And then we'll throw in. So now we've got a serial killer murdering children. And then we're going to throw in a satanic cult. And then we're going to throw in ghosts and like Satan haunted animatronics. And then we're going to throw in a deal with the devil with those Satan animatronics. Mm -hmm. And now we're back in the present where the animatronics want to eat us because they don't just murder people. Somehow they eat them. They need to feed. Willie must feed. I think he, um, and this is the same for the guests as you were saying too, but it's like, the ability to have so much action scenes in the movie, just like so much of that stuff. Right. And what you're talking about, like B-movies, there is this sense in which if you're looking for a, a movie to just watch and be entertained, and I know people like this who are like, we'll watch something and I'll be interested in the, in the world building, the backstory and all stuff. And they're just like, I really like the fighting or I really like the action scene. And like, that's what they're in it for. And they and then they'll rewatch the movie a hundred times just to see those cool scenes and just to get, get engaged with that kind of thing. I think we're kind of bad at making movies that do both nowadays. Like now I think people are just turning to these like making this stuff just to be like, okay, this is what we actually want to do, though. Like we're just going to make a joke out of the actual story and stuff like that and just point out that we don't care. Like the story and stuff is just there to give a vehicle to the craziness that we're going to do. I like that they do that so earnestly, though. Like they're not trying to be anything else. I'm actually not saying it's a bad thing. It's just an interesting move and I kind of understand why people are making these movies now but what I do want to say to that is I don't think every person who likes an action movie like that just for the action is actually going to like this movie Mm. because it does feel irreverent and ironic and like it's making fun of itself whereas I feel like people who like movies you know like Crank and The Transporter and Fast and the Furious although I do love Fast and the Furious there are funny things about those movies where like you really shouldn't be taking them too seriously but in a way they do take themselves rather seriously like they are trying to be like a legitimate action movie that stands the test of time in the way that like Die Hard and fucking Lethal Weapon did whereas Willy's Wonderland is not trying to be anything other than a really fucking good weird energy <laughs> b-movie yeah. like that that's exactly what it wants to be yeah. but a b-movie is making fun of movies like that's what it's doing it's supposed to be sort of ironic and fun and weird and just like over the top and melodramatic whereas like as much as i do think 
you know, Fast and the Furious is melodramatic and ridiculous. And I think you can make fun of Don Toretto for saying everything's about family and then racing cars and somehow bringing an airplane out of the sky with like a Ford F-150. <laughs> you can make fun of that. You should make fun of that. Yeah. But people who watch these movies and really, really love this series do take it kind of seriously. Yeah. Um, and I don't think they would appreciate the sort of like fun loving mockery. Right. That Willie's Wonderland is. I do think people who like the guest, who like From Dusk Till Dawn, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez's combination effort with Tarantino and George Clooney and Selma Hayek are in From Dusk Till Dawn. Like, if you like those kinds of movies, you like True Romance, which, you know, was written by Tarantino, but was directed by Tony something. He's an action movie director, stars Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. Um, if you like those types of movies, you're going to you're gonna like Willy's Wonderland. If you like Mandy, you'll probably like Willy's Wonderland. Mm-hmm. But if you're like a straight action movie dude who loves The Expendables, you're going to hate this fucking movie because it's insane. Yeah. I think that's the interesting it's thing. Like off its ass. The second half of Mandy is very similar in a way of like just high octane action. Mm-hmm. But there's something for me about the unhinged, the cinema. Uh, cinematographic cinematic quality of the the way they're making choices with this weird like they're reading these pulp fiction books and then that becomes a psychedelic adventure and the type of mystical fantasy land that they go into this high octane yeah adventure into mandy feels like you know sort it's of like an atmospheric yeah. A, a psychedelic atmospheric kind of film like it it feels like it's really trying to do something and explore something and it is unhinged like Nicolas Cage is fucking insane in that movie so you still get some of the fun of like the b-movie vibe that you get from Willy's Wonderland but I do think it's trying to do something sort of like aesthetically deeper and it does feel like it's it's sort of trying to give you that you know 60s flower child right. acid trip feeling and i think it does that really effectively yeah and i i do think it sort of harms experience having seen that in colorado space to see another nicholas cage vehicle because it's like <laughs> we're mostly seeing him do the same thing here just in a different environment um there is some uniqueness yeah. to it because he's mute and he's like pulling off a certain type of stereotype or certain type of b-movie vibe here but even so i'm i'm used to it and i'm just like yeah i mean yes I agree that there are a lot of similarities between the two, but acting wise, like if Nicolas Cage is the problem, this is Nicolas Cage in every movie. The only mm-hmm. difference is he has no lines here. But like if you see, if you see Nicolas Cage, I think he was in like The Rock with Sean Connery. He was in Face Off with John Travolta and like Con Air and all of these movies that he's been in for decades and decades. This is he's an insane human being. <laughs> this is who he. This is what he's like. He is fucking nuts in like the most amazing, pleasing, weird, fun way. Like, I'm not saying that as like a mockery of mental illness. He's just unhinged and I love it so much. And I will see everything he's in. I can't wait to see Pig, the new movie that came out, (laughs) which is literally John Wick, but with a pig instead of a dog. (laughs) And I love that. I do think though, like, in Ghost Rider, it's a little bit less, but then even, like even in National Treasure, I think it's quite a bit less. Where his type of acting there is still like he's more standard. I mean, as boring as it, more standard action movie hero, and the adventure there is more standard. 
I, in these later I ones, it's National more Treasure. wild. Like it's now, it's clearly yeah. artistic or something like this. There's clearly something theatrical. Well, for sure. But I do always, I do think at heart, yeah. he has always been a hyper melodramatic theater kid in like the body of a middle-aged surfer. It is weird how he's looked like the exact same for like 20 years now, though. Honestly, I swear to God, he looked 40 when he was like 28. Mm-hmm. And then when he hit 40, he just stayed 40. He's not gone anywhere. There's basically nothing to be said about the kids in this or the teenagers in this movie. No, they not, were very They're nothing boring. characters. Oh, the, the one thing that we did like was the uh, Willy's Wonderland t-shirt that he wears. In oh, it. my God. I would rock that yeah. in like the most ironic hipster way. He changes possible. into it like six times in the movie, too. It. I know, because he gets covered in animatronic, like, innards yeah. constantly. Because they're somehow alive, but they, like, and they, they're they full of oil. I don't, I don't understand why they're full of oil, but the oil is their blood, mm-hmm. gets all over him. Oh my god, movie's so fucking stupid, and I love it so much. Yeah, I do think it makes for a good, like, t-shirt that would be cool to own. Yeah, it gives very much, I feel like this could really easily go in the same direction as, like, the room did in like cult mm. beloved status the room is objectively a shittier movie like this feels yes. like a movie that was intentionally made to look kind of like over the top and corny whereas the room i think is a little up its own ass um and he was he was trying to be like an auteur and a mm-hmm. filmmaker and it's just like terrible but i think it could reach the same sort of beloved status where it's watched yearly the way like rocky horror picture show is also, speaking of Rocky Horror Picture Show, this is unrelated to Willy's Wonderland. Going back to Daniel Radcliffe. Mm. Did I send you that TikTok of Daniel Radcliffe in Miracle Workers? I don't think so. Oh, my God. So there's this, there's this comedy show, like sketch show, called Miracle Workers that Daniel Radcliffe is on. And he, in the in the clip that I, I sent to a couple of our friends, he's a, like, priest in an old, like, western town. Okay. And one of the women there is like, you need to lighten up, father, like you're too high strung and he's like, you need to have some fun. And he's like, this is my fun. And he starts reading the Bible and he's like, yeah, some good Bible. And then like the next scene, you know, something happens, he loosens up, but he's on stage and starts singing a song and then he like flourishes his cape off and he's basically in like a Rocky Horror Picture Show outfit. Like he's got makeup and he's got like this big lace collar and like a latex thong on oh and he does a whole yeah, yeah, dance yeah. burlesque routine immaculate of course and all of the comments on this tiktok are like why hasn't daniel radcliffe been cast in the dr frankenfurter role in like rocky horror mm. he would be so good i have to send you this tiktok it's so funny but if you haven't seen miracle workers and you like daniel radcliffe highly recommend because just another example of an unhinged performance that I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. This is unreal. I'm I'm just like tangenting everywhere. I've said everything I want to say about Willy yeah, Wonderland. I if you don't like B movies much. like me, fucking watch it. Yeah. I don't know. Just it's good. Watch it. I liked it. it there's nothing to say about it though. Um, <laughs> so back to back to what's interesting. So you know my love of making podcasts or not podcasts, <laughs> but also that like, okay. playlists. I made a new playlist because it's August now, so it's time for spooky season. Uh, okay if that's what people think yes it is at least on my side of tiktok (laughs) so anyway i made a new playlist and it's all like spooky sounding songs (laughs) 
but like actual music and not just like the Adams Family theme song, although that theme song fucks. And I'm just very proud of it and I wanted to talk about it. And I'll send it to you, but you don't really listen to music, so I don't think you'll enjoy it. But the name of the playlist is We're We Are Going to Get Murdered by Ghosts. Oh. And I find that very funny. Okay. And I just wanted to talk about it. Oh, you're dumb bad hobbies. So now I have yeah, it's a stupid hobby, but now I have three amazingly named playlists. Depression, but make it a oh roller disco. My God. <laughs> hilarious. Here for the cult stuff. Good. Also hilarious. And we're going to get murdered by ghosts. Amazing. I when I go up to where I'm going, I don't even care about saying where I'm going. But where are you when, when you go home? Well, yeah, when I when I switch cities. You just say when you go home. Well, I'm home right now. You're in your family home right yes, now. But, but you but you live in the other place. Yeah, but it's to a house I just moved to, so it's you know it's a kind of bizarre kind of. Yeah, but you live in that that city is your home. Yeah. So this episode's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> What I want to do is I'm obsessed. I've I've watched so many TikToks, but I was doing so many things. I need to get yeah. You have to order all this stuff from like random websites online, but all the stupid scrapbooking stickers and materials, and make my oh little my journal stuff. I just I need to do it. I want to do it for like a reading journal, to like for and I might do it for like certain movies or TV shows too, because I just love people will like print out a cover of the book or the movie they just watched, like a poster or whatever, mm. and then put a little and then do their little description and then stickers and, and tapes and stuff and aesthetic. Washi tape. Yeah. I just love it. Are you gonna, is it like a bullet journal that you yeah. want to do? Although yeah. I have no ability to like make shapes or stuff. So we're going to, it's going to be a learning process of me learning how to actually get stamps. Do this. Yeah. Stuff. Oh, and wax it's, seals. You know. I'm like, Oh my God, just, I, I want all oh my God, of it. I love wax seals. All the bullshit that if people you, do. If you do get wax seals and you don't immediately send me a letter with a wax seal, (laughs) I will be fucking pissed. Immediately do that, please. I'll just start a small business that I only sell to my friends so that they can get wax seals. So I have to pay if I want a letter from you? (laughs) I was just saying there's almost like MLM like logic that so many people are into now where it's like everyone's starting a small business and everyone has to wax seal their small business things to things. I love it so though. Cute. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely it. love it. And I have actually recommended one of my friends do do that, like become a small business owner mm-hmm. and do do that thing. So I'm like, you'd be good at it. You're very good at networking. And oh, that stuff's amazing. Is it a friend that made our bracelets? Yeah. I can't wait until I get my bracelet back. I was so sad when it got all loose and weird. Yeah. So excited. Now that um, we've properly avoided talking about the show yeah. movie for this last bit, you can find us on Twitter. And oh, we're just going to like abruptly end the podcast. Well, yeah. Uh, or, I don't know, the summary of the movie. Uh, it's stupid but fun. Yay. Yeah, I love Nicolas Cage. Love a good Nicolas Cage vehicle. Twitter, at FansLabPod, and every other social media, but Facebook, if you wanted to find us. And uh, we would yes. love to hear from you and keep subscribing, keep liking, what, reviewing, whatever you got to do. Whatever you got to do <laughs> on yeah. your Apps also, just just talk to us. Yeah, we're we're on Twitter all the time. We we're both logged into the one Twitter account, yeah. so one of us will respond if you message us. Yeah, we don't have a lot going on. <laughs> and yeah, we would. Yeah, and and we don't actually usually ask this part, but maybe we should say that. But it's like reviews and likes or what whatever it is that your app does would be subscriptions. Yeah, appreciated. Thank you so much. And recommend movies to us that you want to want to hear us talk about. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.